Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we're reading again this week from the prophet Amos, and we're hearing him on his favorite theme. As I told you last week, he's the great prophet of social justice. Abraham Joshua Heschel, whom I mentioned quite a bit last week, said, the prophets of Israel feel the pathos of God. That's nice, isn't it? They enter into the passionate feelings of God, and then they speak out of that pathos. Well, part of God's passion in the Bible is his burning sense of righteousness his desire to set right what is unjust within human society. Again, you'll find that theme in all the great prophets. And so, this week, Amos complains, listen to him, about the complacent in Zion who lie upon beds of ivory, are stretched comfortably on their couches, eating lambs and calves from the stall, and improvising to the music of the harp like David. Now, those lines should be read, I think, with kind of a sarcastic tone. Think of a comedian or a sort of sardonic social commentator today. Well, that's what Amos is doing here. He's making fun of these very self-regarding, self-indulgent, self-complacent, rich people lounging on their couches and listening to the gentle music of the harp, eating fattened lambs and calves. Well, these are, you know, the complacently wealthy. What's the problem with them? Listen. He says, while these people wallow in their comforts and luxuries, Joseph is collapsing. Now we have to know what this code means. Amos is speaking here about people in the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember the nation had split in two, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom of Israel. During this period, Judah was relatively well off, politically and economically. So that's where the wealthy, complacent people are. In the meantime, the northern kingdom of Israel, where their brothers and sisters are, is in political danger and in economic decline. There are a lot of poor and threatened people in Israel. That's what he means by Joseph here. He means the tribe of Joseph. Joseph is collapsing. And you people are sitting here on your couches and strumming your harps indifferent to their suffering. Now, from this will come a prophetic threat. Amos says, Therefore you shall be the first to go into exile, and your wanton revelry will be done away with. If I can adapt Paul's great image, the prophets know that we are members of a body And therefore, we are connected to each other, not simply through moral commitment, 
but by something much more elemental, by a kind of organic link. Wouldn't it be consummately silly if the liver were to remain indifferent to a cancer raging in the stomach? Or the lungs indifferent to the clogging of the heart? Well, no, I mean, all the organs of your body exist in a subtle relationship of interdependence with each other. The lungs can't say to the heart, well, that's your problem, not mine. Well, soon enough, it'll be the lungs problem. The stomach can't say to the liver, well, that's your problem. Soon enough, it'll be his problem. Therefore, the complacent in Zion, Amos is saying, are putting themselves in danger, themselves in danger, precisely by ignoring the suffering of their neighbors to the north. Sooner or later, you will suffer as well. Okay, that reading is a warm-up for the gospel. Jesus, as I've said before, happily assumed the title and mantle of prophet. And he is very much in this tradition of Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah. He tells in today's gospel that always devastating parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And he's commenting on the same organic relationship that obtains between all members of society. Like Amos, he draws attention to the conspicuous consumption of the rich man. Listen to him. There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. We would just say in an Armani suit, maybe. That's what purple garments mean. All the while, there is right at his door a poor man. Listen again. Lazarus, covered with sores, would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. This classic story, it's gotten into the consciousness of, of the wider society, hasn't it? Lazarus and Dives, we'll say, just Latin for the rich man. We feel the power of it. We know the power and the, the condemnation implicit in this contrast. Let me share an experience of my own. In the summer of 1980, I was a 20-year-old seminarian, and you know, I grew up in the pretty wealthy suburbs of Chicago. We weren't, we weren't fabulously wealthy, but you know, wealthy enough. Well, that summer I spent at St. Aloysius Parish in Chicago, in a much more economically depressed area. There was a lot of drugs and gang violence. Well, when I rode there from my house in the rather well-to-do suburbs to St. Aloysius, it took me maybe a half hour, and yet there was a world of difference. And it was the first time I'd really felt this. I knew there were economic you know, disparities, but it was the first time I really had felt this difference. And what struck me that day was I'm a half hour away from this completely different neighborhood. There is enormous poverty, violence, hopelessness, one half hour from where I live. That's true, of course, in most of our major cities. You can travel from a very wealthy area in maybe half hour or less than that into extremely poor neighborhoods. Friends, my point is this. Lazarus is still right at the gate. 
oh, poor people, they're far away. I guess someone else has to worry about them. No, they're right at the gate. That's why we shouldn't soften this reading. We shouldn't render it symbolic. We shouldn't explain it away. Is it meant to bother us? Yes. Yes. We who are relatively wealthy, and of course all of us in our country, in, this, in these United States, we are all relatively wealthy compared to much of the world. Let me use this parable to say a few simple things about Catholic social teaching. The social doctrine of the church comes right up out of this prophetic tradition, stretching through Jesus back to Amos. In the last 120 years now, the popes from Leo XIII through John Paul II have made a significant contribution to it. In fact, I just heard recently that the next encyclical of Benedict XVI is going to be on the social question. The popes have been sharply critical of socialist or communist solutions to the problem of social, social injustice. They've seen, all of them, that these radical proposals compromise way too much the integrity and dignity of the individual. But it's also fair to say they've been critical of Western capitalism as well. What are the popes worried about? Their main concern is that capitalism can easily devolve into an individualism according to which profit-making and competition are paramount. An individualism that overlooks the fact, listen, that we are all organically related one to another. When we retreat into that kind of self-absorbed individualism, we are like those complacent rich that Amos worries about. Our neglect of the poor, Lazarus at our gate, will lead, in the long run or the short run, to our own collapse. There's the sharp message of both these readings and of the church's social teaching. Okay, so what do we do? How does this parable rouse us to action? Let me make a couple of simple suggestions. First of all, we can tithe. That's a good biblical idea. It just means giving 10% of your income every year to the work of the church, to a charity, to the poor. It's up to you to decide how you do it. But you give 10% of what you make to the poor. It's hard, isn't it? We don't think of it that pointedly, but that's the biblical recommendation. Now people give money at church and so on. Good. But use tithing as a guide. 10%. If you don't give to your local parish, okay, give to a charity. Give to the poor directly, but make it 10%. Secondly, I know how complex this is, but this issue should influence the way we vote for public officials. And again, I know the complexity. There are a lot of different political issues, and often the two parties are both good and bad. You know, in terms of Catholic teaching, they're both problematic, they're both good. Well, I would just say this issue of the poor should figure in to your political thinking and to the way you vote. Thirdly, we can give directly of our time to those who are in need. Sometimes it's a little too easy just to write a check and say, okay, I've given some money 
Go yourself. Participate yourself in a program. They're not too far from you. Trust me, wherever you are, wherever you're hearing these words, not too far from you is a program that could use your presence. I think it's great for parents to bring kids, for example, to a soup kitchen, to a Catholic worker house. Let them see what I saw when I was 20 years old, this great disparity that Lazarus is not too far from your door. Here's one I've mentioned to you before, but I think it's a good idea. Put up a poor box in your house. It's a box by the door. Every time you leave, something goes in it for the poor. It's up to you. It could be a quarter, it could be a dollar, it could be $10. But whenever you leave the house, something goes in that box for the poor. Why? Because you are organically related to them. It's not their problem. It's your problem. Better, it's our problem. And that poor box reminds you of it. Another practical suggestion, study as much as you can to learn the condition and plight of the poor. Make it a study. Get some books, articles, go on the internet. Make it a priority to understand more fully the plight of the poor and what can be done. I'll leave you with this line from Peter Morin, the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement. He said, we got to shift from being a society of go-getters to being a society of go-givers. I like that. We're go-getter society. Go get it. You achieve something. You get as much as you can. Well, that's not the biblical attitude. Become a go-giver. Your goal should be to give, to give, to give. To realize Lazarus at your gate, lest we become these complacent whom Amos complains about. We're all members of Christ's mystical body. Be aware of Lazarus at the gate. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.